It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. The news is daily when it comes to Afghanistan, and unfortunately, we'll continue for some time. Uh, we'll balance the coverage by following the story and at the same time uh, working to make sure that we're informed on every possible angle. If we're going to have a proper or at least a better understanding of what this means not only in the nation Afghanistan to those who are stranded now, be they American, uh, American allies, partners, or other nation citizens, uh, plus the effect around the world. We're going to have to look at every angle possible. All too often, many want to angle it for their purposes, political or otherwise, however they see it. We won't do that here. Do I have a perspective? Yes, I do. Do I have a political belief? Yes, I do. But analysis is to put that aside and take a look at it, which is what we'll continue to do here. Drew Berquist is a former counterterrorism officer, national security commentator, and a host of This Is My Show with Drew Berquist. And he joins me now as a analyst who will help us understand uh, what is in Afghanistan and what the situation regarding the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and any other component really is about. Drew, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to hear be here. So let's dive in. And this is, as I said in the introduction, you know, we want to talk about this from the inside looking out in many ways. Uh, you've been there. You've conducted intelligence operations against the, the aforementioned groups, Taliban, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, have we assessed them correctly as this administration and intelligence apparatus now properly assessed them in your view? I think, yes. I mean, the answer is complicated, right? So, and this has been a problem that's plagued our intel community, our national security apparatus, and, and specifically what we're doing in Afghanistan for, frankly, the last two decades. The earlier parts were better. Um, but the, the problem has always been within our community is you've got intel operators, special, uh, special operations operators um, that are out doing God's work in the field, know this this the the landscape know the terrain know the players know everyone involved um but sometimes you, you just can't get dc and, and the headquarters elements to listen so i think that we've got you know very very specific and very very talented groups within our national security apparatus that are all too aware of of the threats that come along with all of the groups that you mentioned the problem is 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 the, the, the truth that comes out of that is not always the narrative that the government wants to push because it would, of course, you know, send people into panic. Um, all sorts of concerns come out of that. So this, this case here, how we, how we landed in this situation, and I've said it a million times on a bunch of different shows this week, my own included, you know, knowing what I know, and I've been out of the game for a few years now, but still maintain sources on the ground and have colleagues on the ground and, you know, all of us could have predicted it was going this way. We could not have predicted, however, that they that they were going to do it this horribly. Um, I don't think you could have scripted a worse ending if you tried. 
that's from our end. So let's take a look at the the Taliban and in the Drew. A lot of the focus is Kabul, but uh, you know, based on people I've talked to who have a little bit closer to this and why I have you here, uh, where where ignoring it, I guess, in the American narrative, the American media, whatever you want to call it, even in some of the political quarters, the rest of the country is if that doesn't exist. And if the Taliban, while they have certainly seized control of the majority, you know, they have not consolidated power, there are still other opponents left over from the Northern Alliance in part. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think a huge focus right now to understand is is one, the Taliban has seen weakness um, over the last, frankly, the last several years within the country and our policies in the country, and then certainly this past year and, and all that's led up to what we're seeing unfold uh, tragically and disastrously in front of us. But that's why they're capitalizing. That's why they're doing this. They're emboldened. They're empowered because of the support they're getting from, from Pakistan and from China and others. But, but also you do have to understand, uh, to your point there, that there is a resistance. There's a resistance forming. I'm, in fact, in contact with a lot of them. Um, they're all in the Panjshir Valley. They're waiting. Uh, you've got Ahmed Massoud, who's the son of Ahmed Shah Massoud, who was the original leader of the Northern, Northern, Northern Alliance, the line of Panjshir. His son, you know, just weeks ago gave a speech on his father's grave saying we're, we're getting this thing going again. We've rekindled the Northern Alliance. They have over 100,000 troops ready, ready to go, um, and they are going to be pushing back. Uh, I've already taken some districts are, are working hard to do that and, and have big plans moving forward because they don't want to be, nor should they want to be, under the thumb of the Taliban. But. The question then becomes how effective, and let's put not only the geography, but the calendar into this part of the equation. It's late August. The fighting season is real when it comes to Afghanistan, the ability to have mobility, right? And typically that's been the past. Game changer here, I wonder about, Drew, is air capability, which is now part of what's happened with the seizure of not only what we've left behind, which we shouldn't have in my, you know, but that's a part of the discussion at another time, and what we were building, whether it be with equipment from other countries like the Czech helicopters combined with Cessna reconnaissance planes, some C-130s that we gave them, older ones, so they now have air capability when the fighting season, when the weather changes. How do you think the Taliban is able to continue and how effectively against their opponents? Well, that's that's a great question. And something we're going to have to kind of wait and see. It's, it's you know, one is is traditionally there always has been a fighting season, which which probably sounds odd and, and different to people back here at home. But that's how they that's how they do it. You know, the, the, the spring and summer are fighting season as it gets cold and, and the weather changes. Things calm down. They don't go away. They just calm down a little bit on, on a percentage level. So one, it's going to be interesting to see how that changes, uh, if it does at all. And then in terms of the capabilities with air, certainly, yes, they've got more than they've ever had. The Taliban have more territory than they've ever had. They have, they have more equipment than they've ever had and, and also more support from the outside than they've ever had. So they've got a lot of things going their way. How, how the ramp-up is going to be to them getting a hold of, of, of training and operating all of that high-speed equipment that we've left behind um, is, is a question that we just we have to wait and see. Because certainly 
you know, there are, there are individuals that we trained that switch sides that could be there. There's also the situation where you can have individuals who are forced uh, that we trained, you know, to fly, say, a helicopter or to fly this apparatus or another. Um, but they're being forced to do it, you know, with, with their family being threatened or what have you. So there's ways that they can get this. There's outside trainers. Of course, you can come in from other supportive uh, countries and regimes. So, but the, the question is going to be how quick can they get up to speed on some of that? Certainly, it gives them an advantage, um, something that the, the, the Taliban has never had before uh, in terms of, of air superiority. But I think it's going to, there's going to be some ramp up time because these guys, Look, they're 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 capable. They've they've seized this ground. They've seized this opportunity because again, they see weakness, they see opportunity, and they've got the support and the backing to do it. So they're doing that. But I think, in terms of fighting on the ground, the Northern Alliance is going to be a tough force for them to, to reckon with. Certainly in the Panjshir, no one goes into the Panjshir and comes out a winner uh, or alive. Air, air superiority could change that as as we move forward. But again, we've got to see how quickly they can get up to speed with actually operating some of that equipment that they have because there's a lot of it that that is going to be a a, a long runway uh in terms of them figuring out how to use it and we've got to figure out what our plan is between now and then and the northern alliance is going to have to strike hard and fast between now and then to try and make some big gains so two things come to mind uh drew and you know we use the term war fighter in this country but i want to flip that to the other perspective uh, you brought up something important to this. Uh, we trained a lot of people. We trained avionics engineers, maintenance engineers. We trained, We trans. they helped translate the manuals from whatever language, say Czechoslovakian into, into uh, Farsi, whatever was necessary. And there was a generational training of the older group uh, and the younger flyers, fighters, when it came to air capabilities, whether they're switched or forced and survival becomes a factor, right? Let's be very realistic about this. If your choice is burn my family alive, as the Taliban has said they would do uh, to those in Kabul who fought with air capabilities, the 777 squadron uh, block, rather, 777th block, right, who supported night operations and air operations. If your choice is that, people may decide to switch. Survival is a strong driver. Uh, that can help train them faster, which then brings into the point how soon they're able to ramp up their capabilities to extend beyond the closure of the passes, the, quote, fighting season. And, uh, you know, to what extent to go with that, can the Panjshir Valley effort expand? Uh, that's you know a northern part of the country, but there's a lot more country. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, uh, again, if I if I had all the answers, we probably wouldn't be in this situation. But I think I, I think that you're absolutely right about the survivability part, and people need to understand that. And, and I know people get frustrated sometimes when you hear stories about people flipping and, and there's always been a saying that Afghans are for rent, not for sale. And that's true for, for a lot of them, but there's also some very, very hardworking, loyal um, fighters there who, when their backs are up against the wall and using the exact you know scenario or description that you explained, um, you know, your family is threatened. Your family is either going to be burned alive. They're going to be beheaded. They're going to whatever, you know, all nightmare scenarios. You, you you do what you can. You do what you can to survive and keep going. Um, but 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 to the point. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna depend. I mean, the Northern Alliance does have some air capability. They've got um, about seventy five plus helicopters and some other you know rotary aircraft right now that they can that they can utilize uh, and will utilize. So again, I think it's going to be a race because there's people coming in. That, 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 
securing the north and securing the border, particularly some of the passes along the eastern border, is going to be an effort um, that needs to be accomplished quickly and swiftly by the Northern Alliance, and they're going to want to. And I know that that is part of their plan. I know that General Dostum is wanting to do that so they can stop foreigners from coming in. You know, they're re- re- regaining um, territory, but they're also preventing some of those pipelines from being executed um, and, and getting additional fighters in there to go against them, the Northern Alliance and the, and the Afghan people. So it really is. It's, it's a race against time. Who can execute best in the next several months is going to be key. What slowed things down a little bit on the side of the Northern Alliance has been the, the international pressure. There's a lot of people. Um, Masood has been in meetings in Pakistan and France and others um, with people pressuring him to try and strike a deal with the Taliban, uh, which he's come back and said, well, look, we'll, we'll do an election. And if the people, the Afghans vote you in, which, of course, they would not. No one wants the Taliban in power then you can rule. Uh, but the Taliban, of course, will not do that. And, and the Northern Alliance will not bend the knee. So it's, it's going to lead to, to, to fighting and bloodshed. And um, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But it's not going to be pretty. So logistics. You know, a lot of this comes down to logistics, Drew. My guest, Drew Berquist. Uh, Drew, the Northern Alliance and, you know, just even in air capability, but in other weaponry, right, Armin, they have to... If they use, they have to resupply. Any? Do we have a clear understanding of their ability to do that, including if they have to buy from the outside, do they have the ability to purchase? I mean, we have to be very realistic about this with the American people. Arms supply exists. Can you buy? Can you transport? Because once the bullet leaves, you have to make another one. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, working as an intel officer with the agency, you know, uh, over 30 deployments in country there in Afghanistan alone. Part of the things that we would do sometimes to work to to help get our our allies and partners supplied was we would bring stuff in. But sometimes even that system went down or there was a, a pause or a delay. and We'd have to find other ways. So there are methods where you can get stuff into country um, through, you know, uh, uh, private organizations, other third party uh, type arrangements where stuff gets in. The Northern Alliance now has been speaking with uh, France has said that they're going to help them TBD on what that means exactly and how they're what their you know logistics chain and, and supply chain is going to look like. But they've said that they're they're willing to um, at least behind the scenes with Masood. Tajikistan, as of earlier this week, was going to help um, and was already starting to send in ammunition and food. Um, according to someone who I talked to yesterday, the, the Russians have intervened on the Tajikistan side and said, "Hey, stop that! Do not get involved." Um, so that's apparently slowing down. So that's going to be, to your point, David, going to be a struggle for them. They're going to have to figure out what those um, supply lines are, what their allies are, where they can get stuff in and out of. But I, 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 I'll tell you this. These people are resourceful. They are survivalists. And, and they have done this time and time again over the history of this country. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that, that the Northern Alliance will continue to figure it out, um, get what they need and push back. It's not going to be easy. But they, they, will, they will find a way to get it done. Here's an angle that I have not heard discussed anywhere, but I've tried to look into it and, and just thinking from a point of analysis, and you just brought up Tajikistan. Uh, there's somebody in this mix who doesn't like and certainly has made it clear where his stance is on, on the Islamist part of Islam, right? And that man is Vladimir Putin. Whether it was the 90s, you look at the Beslan school bombing, you look at the Chechen issue, what went on there. Uh, He has a clear stance 
on the spread of radical of radicalism. So is he likely to provide aid through the stands, former Soviet bloc countries, but geographically easier than trying to get in along the Pakistani border with airplanes and that narrow corridor to work with? And is there a possibility that Putin or some of the Putin-supported allies or partners would work because he doesn't want the spread that comes closer to Russia? I think it's a possibility. I think it's something that they want to keep in check. And look, you know, all the years that I was in country there, you know, Russia was heavily involved in the intelligence game. Um, they, they were there and had a strong presence. They were, they were, you know, working against us and, and of course, for their own interests, which, which any country would do. I, I think what's, what's one of their biggest goals, though, and, and they're competing. Um, so they've got to find this balance and what the balance ends up being in the end, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. But they don't want that spread. They don't want that encroaching on their borders. But I think that they'll strong arm, you know, the, the stands, the, you know, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, et cetera, um, to keep things in check, not get too involved, keep some form of stability in those countries. But I think that they want Afghanistan um, to, to go to hell because, because it, one of the, the big goals of China and Russia has always been in Afghanistan to undermine the United States and our efforts there. Uh, obviously, we are the big dog. They want to be the big dog. And you've got to cut the knees out uh, from underneath us to do that. So, so I think embarrassing us, making us look as bad as possible and sticking it to us, you know, whether it's financially, all these other ways, you know, uh, in, in terms of some of the support that they would give enemies before um, to, to affect our operations and or affect the, the, the well-being of our troops. Um, they've, they've always been there. And I think the big goal and, and, and still probably his big goal is, okay, we want this to be an un- unmitigated disaster, which it is for the United States. And we want to continue to kind of pour salt in that wound and make it worse. And I think that's going to be one of the things that motivates him and is a priority for him moving forward. See, now that approach to me mirrors, Drew. We'll, we'll just, I'll wrap it up here, but I, this conversation is necessary. So thanks for the extra minutes. Uh, look, North Korea was the simmering pot that was effective, right? You got it started by Russia. It was a simmering pot. You got China becoming involved after the fall of the Soviet Union. And that pot keeps the West, right? The six-party nations kept us busy for decades. Afghanistan, you've got Russian interests, China's interests, obviously. But if we're out of there while there's the... The, the politics, the bad publicity, all of the other things, if they're engaged with each other and that becomes less of a simmering pot with an effect on us, except for the threat of potential, uh, you know, call it landmass, that's terrorist training ground, um, then I wonder if it's not as effective as North Korea was for decades. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting point. Um I mean, obviously, if they're focused on each other and, and, and what's going on there, the, the question is, is, is what are they focused on, though? And, and what, to what lengths are they going? Because if they're focused on each other and, and you know, China's super focused on, on, on minerals and, and going after rare earth type stuff, you know, Russia's going after their goals, but, but they're keeping things in check and it's not becoming an absolute safe haven. Then, then maybe there's there's an outcome or a scenario where it's not as as awful for the international community and certainly for us. But I I, I don't I mean there's reports of Al Qaeda training camps in at least 19 provinces already. Some of those were there prior to this. Um, but but you know this this is going the wrong direction fast. Um, 
So, well, I think that that's possible. I think that, you know, if, if it were to go that way and, and China and if, if Xi Jinping and, and Putin were to step up and say, we are not going to let this become chaotic and here's what's going to happen if it does and, and threaten the Taliban and, and then follow up on their actions, maybe that scenario plays out and is an interesting way to look. But as it, as it stands right now, the speed that it's going the other direction, things are going to have to change pretty quick. Yeah, look, sovereign interest is self-interest, right? China has a sovereign interest. Minerals are very important to China. Uh, Russia, again, like playing poker, right? You're playing against Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. You're playing against Vladimir Putin, if you will. In the poker view of this, it's the person. Putin doesn't want that expansion for his own interests, which are not the same as China's. They may both be willing to go where America, frankly, will not to either deal with Taliban in the in the darkest way, which can be effective to send the message or by pulling supply capabilities, China more so than Russia. I, I think this is a different dynamic. Uh, we don't have a DMZ as we do in the Korea peninsula right we don't have that factor right. so the you know if we're out of there china and russia for their own interests could help maybe not balance but offset how far those groups go absolutely they could they they, they absolutely could the question is 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 will they um and how will that look so it's it's i mean this is a it, it's i tell you it's such a complicated country on the ground within, you know, within Afghanistan, between Afghan people and, and the different tribes and affiliations. And then because of the, the interest in the region and, and the potential security um, disaster that it can become and has become before, um, it, it, it makes it super complicated. So everyone, you know, always talks about it as this third world country, which it most certainly is. And, and just this, this, this place like, ah, who cares about Afghanistan? But it's, it is really an important place. And a lot can happen there if it's not done right. Uh, so how, 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 how they do that, how Putin and, and Xi Jinping handle this moving forward is going to be very interesting because clearly we're, we're saying we're not going to do much of anything. So it, it's going to come down to, to, to them um, and, and kind of helping determine how this looks in the end for everyone. Yeah. Well, it, we will certainly continue to see this evolve and change. <laughs> Drew, thank you, because the complexity of this needs to be explored, and I always appreciate the input of those who've done it rather than those who just observe it and comment on it. Absolutely. No, it's my pleasure to be here. Drew Burke was former counterterrorism office. You'll see him on, on Fox News, Newsmax, uh, the first TV, and, of course, his uh, show, This Is My Show with Drew Berkwist at drewberkwist.com. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.